How great is our God? Indeed, it's a joy and a thrill to be able to um, to come and just share a portion from from the Word of God. It's uh, it's very humbling, and I always ask, Lord, uh, who am I that that you are mindful that you can take a a cracked vessel like me to to be able to just share from from the Word of the Lord? But I'm a, I'm blessed and I'm terrified, but at the same time, He's a uh, He's a great God. He's an almighty God. Y'all pray for me. I want to make sure that I articulate this uh, portion of Scripture in such a way that will uh, it'll be God's Word and that it'll reveal uh, and encourage and challenge God's people to fix our hearts and our, and our lives and our eyes on Him. In the last uh, few weeks, uh, Pastor Lonnie has done, just done a phenomenal job um, uh, laying out the uh, premise for the Reformation and the meaning of the five solas. And, uh, of course, we know that uh, it was all birthed during that time, right, of uh, this powerful movement that obviously has changed the course of history and has changed the course of the church. And, uh, and I found myself just kind of empathizing with Luther somewhat. I found myself just, just uh, feeling Luther's pain, you know, where he steps back and he looks at the church and, and he just kind of at large just kind of, you know, starts asking questions. You know, what is this? What has gone wrong here? You know, why have we, it looks like we definitely have gone off the path. We've deviated from Scripture. We've deviated from the path of, of God's Word. And so, you know, his major problem wasn't necessarily, uh, it wasn't the government leadership, but, but rather the leadership of the church. And so what I like to do is just kind of uh, go from this 1517 era, you know, as we you know, we've just uh, did a, 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 an, an, an amazing time of just learning from this Reformation, from this Augustinian monk um, in 1517, and just kind of rewind. And let's go to a, another priest, uh, maybe about 2,100 years before uh, uh, Luther. And uh, yeah, so we'll just kind of rewind, you know, go about a thousand years and you find yourself at Jesus. And let's go another five, six hundred years, you find yourself at around Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah was definitely a priest, but he was also a prophet that was called, you know, to be a prophet of, of, among the nations and especially a prophet to the land of Judah. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I like to just kind of read a segment in Jeremiah chapter 32 because God, you know, God was good about giving Jeremiah and some of the other prophets, but for sure Jeremiah some object lessons. You know, he made them do things, and then that represented something, right? And, uh, you know, go to the potter's house, and you're going to see him do work on some clay on the wheel. And so that means something, you know. But in this case, it's something a little different. And so in Jeremiah chapter 32, here's what the Bible says. If you found it, you may say amen. amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? amen? All right, so here's the object lesson. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold. Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then Jeremiah says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. You know, at the top of this chapter, um, 
the, 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 uh, it lays out the scenery of what's going on when this is happening, all right? It, it talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar's army has just kind of laid siege on Jerusalem. So imagine when this is taking place, there's this army encamped all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And, you know, it was no strange thing when uh, there was ever a siege that it might last, I don't know, a year, two years, three years, whatever length of time. Because, of course, the, the whole point of that is to cut any type of resource, right? I mean, it, got, it can get pretty dire. People would run out of food. The Bible says there's occasions where even the children, once they would die of starvation, then they would boil them to eat them. I mean, it's heavy stuff. And so this object lesson comes right at the time of a siege. And it was King Zedekiah who had taken uh, Jeremiah and he put him in prison in the prison palace. And so Jeremiah is there in prison, but it's ironic that Jerusalem is somewhat in prison, aren't they? I mean, they're caged up. They can't go in or out. They're just kind of waiting for them to just go ahead and give up. And so months are going by, and all of a sudden, Jeremiah gets this vision. Why is he in prison to begin with? What's his crime? Well, the Bible says that his crime was the fact that he was preaching the truth of God, the word of God. It was somewhat unpopular because they thought, hey, what's with this doom and gloom message, Jeremiah? Man, why are you so negative? Why are you all, I mean... He, 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 was, he didn't like Zedekiah, the king, did not like that, that, that he, he was uh, in the midst of, I mean, the leadership, the monarchy, the, the priests, all these guys were just, uh, 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 were misleading the nation, was, was misleading Jerusalem. And so he would, he, he prophesied against them, you got to get right. And Zedekiah, the king was like, Jeremiah, why are you all up on my grill here? Why are you always saying that, you know, hey, the king of Babylon is going to come and take you, take you out? Why, why are you saying that the God is giving the city into the hand of Babylon, that it's going to be captured? Why are you saying that, that one day I'm going to see the king of Babylon face to face, eye to eye? I, I don't like that negative message. Stay in prison. And so he was in the prison palace because, because of God's word, because of Jeremiah being faithful and, and committed to proclaiming the truth of God. Now, no one likes to hear a negative word, right? Nobody likes that. Who? I mean, we, we're living even today in a day and age where we want to hear just positive stuff. I want to hear the good stuff, right? Hey, preacher, tell me how God is going to prosper me, how he's going to bless me, how my kids are going to be picture perfect. Just tell me about how my, my career is going to launch off. You know, preacher, just give me the good stuff. How I'm going to become a millionaire. You're going to just watch over me. Preacher, just tell me this good stuff that if I'm in a traffic jam, that you're going to part the traffic, you know, like, like the Red Sea, and I'm going to coast right through there in peace. I want the good. Don't tell me the negative stuff that I need to change, that I need to get right. Don't, don't hold, I don't want to be held accountable. Don't tell me that I got to get rid of my pride. I don't want to get rid of my envy. I don't want to get rid of my jealousy. I don't want to get rid of my hatred. If I want to hate, I'm going to hate whoever I want to hate. You're, I don't want you to be the boss of me. I don't want nobody to be the boss of me. But I like a good message. I like a positive message. But don't give me the negative stuff. And so Jeremiah was just being faithful to the word of God. Why? Because for over 20 years, 20, 30 years, depending on the timeline, 
He constantly warned them. He constantly pleaded to them. He was constantly just approaching them. Hey, what are you doing? It's going to co- The time is coming. The impending judgment of God is, is coming. If you don't repent, if you turn, don't turn away from your sin, you need to stop rebelling against God. For 20, 30 years, he constantly, he compared the people of God with that of a prostitute breaking the covenant. I mean, here you are spending more time with these other gods and other idols and worshiping everything else but the living God. So boy, he was just for years, just constantly pleading with them. And I want you to just kind of empathize, empathize a little bit, kind of like, like the way I did with Luther, you know, just kind of feel the pain of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was, was kind of in the middle, wasn't he? I mean, he was torn. He was caught in the middle because he's the mediator between God and the people of God. He's the guy that's got to say, okay, God, you want me to tell him that? Right, hey, thus says the Lord, listen, guys, you're going down if you don't get it right. And I, but, I mean, it wasn't that casual. He's known as the weeping prophet. I mean, he wrote lamentations because he lamented, he cried, he tried to just uh, uh, encourage the people to turn around because his judgment was imminent. And so here he finds himself mediating because obviously we know that he clearly understood why God's heart is broken and why he must bring judgment to a rebellious people, he knew that. He knew that God's heart was broken in his conversation with God, in his talk with God. He knew exactly what God was dealing with, a rebellious people. But at the same time, he also knew that his heart was just in pain and ache for his people, for the people that would would be destroyed because they never took heed to his message. So he was in the middle. I, I, listen, I got this message from God, and it's not good. It's not good unless you do something. You got to do something about it. And I love that, you know, by this time, guys, this is what is known as the, the, the third wave of the captivity, all right? Nebuchadnezzar had already come a few years earlier. It was the first wave. He had taken some of the stuff from the temple, and... Um, and he, uh, he took Daniel and his three amigos at that time, right? And so this is, the third, this is the third captivity. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon and refused to give him tribute and so forth. And, and so he wanted to align himself with Egypt instead and see if he can get wiggled out of the Babylonian captivity, uh, 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 rulership. And so, so at, before the very first wave in 605 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, right before that, God gives a message to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, the very temple that King Solomon built, where my presence is supposed to be there, to be a light to the nations, I want you to go there. And as people are coming in and out and so on, I want you to give them every single word. Don't hold back. Don't hold back, Jeremiah. You give them the truth. You tell them what is coming. And you know what the Lord says right after that? I love this. In Jeremiah, uh, I believe it's 26, verse 3, he says, It may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. I know a lot of times we, just, we can take Scripture just out of context and say, well, the God of the Old Testament is just a mean God. He just wanted to destroy everybody. But that's not so. 
you can see that God is holding back his wrath. He wants, to, he wants his people to, to shake up, to, 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 to repent and turn and keep his covenant and get back in right standing with him. That's his heart. His heart is not to destroy. He wants them to be edified and build up. But I don't know about you, in that message, I can definitely see something positive out of something negative. Don't you? I mean, obviously, all this can go away. The enemy will be gone. If, all, all, if we just surrender, not necessarily to the enemy, if we just surrender to the Lord, if we just say, Lord, you're right. Man, I've gone off track. I need reform. I need to get right. I need this hard message. It sounds negative, but in the long run, it's good for me. It's good for us. Help me to stay focused or we repent. And as a people, we want to get right. And so that is what God was, was hoping that they would do. There is hope. There is hope. Even in the midst of a, what seems to be a negative message. But really, God's word is not negative. I mean, it corrects us. It instructs us, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us real clearly what it's for. It shapes us, it trains us, it equips us so that we can do the work of God. So we can be fully equipped. It protects us. Well, what about Jeremiah, Pastor Ralph? I mean, it seemed like he was protected or the other prophets for that matter. I mean, they were constantly in, 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 in danger. Yes, absolutely they were. But you know what? Even, even in the midst of that danger, you can still see the hand of God over these men of God. I mean, Jeremiah, he could have been dead long before, but the Lord still preserved him. I mean, he lived throughout the entire whole ordeal all the way till uh, the temple eventually got destroyed and burnt down. But the Lord still preserved his life. It was during that time when, at, you know, at the buying of this field that you have to remember that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were in Babylon at that time. And another, there's several stories that are unfolding at that time. One of them is where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden statue, right? This image. And he says, when the music plays, I need the entire kingdom to bow down, worship, and serve this idol. And these guys refused. The whole kingdom bowed except for these three guys. For some reason, in that scenery, Daniel just wasn't there. But these other three guys were, there was these Jewish boys that were taken from Babylon in 605. And they're being forced to worship another God. And they're like, uh-uh, I'm not going to go there. And the king got so angry and, and furious. We know the story. Hey, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And then he says this, and then what God is going to be able to deliver you? From my hand, I feel like if I would have been there, you know, I wonder if they just said, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, because our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. If we're going down, I'm going to go, we're going to go down faithfully trusting God's word. If we're going to go, you know, guys, we're all going to go down, aren't we? The wages of sin is death, right? It is appointed unto man once to die. Either now or later, it's going to happen. Let's remain faithful like these guys. 
even in the midst of persecution, even when they're being forced, you know, even when the culture around them is trying to shape them into doing something that they ought not to. And they fought against it and said, you know what? Hey, that's why the Apostle Paul said uh, in Philippians 1, 2, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die, it's gain. I live, I live for Jesus. I live for the Lord. And if he calls me home, to be absent in the body means to be present with the Lord. Anyway, the Lord says, listen, Jeremiah, in prison, in, in, in this palace uh, prison, he says, um, your cousin is going to come. And he's going to say, hey, cousin, you want to buy my field? I mean, we're related, so you have the right to, to purchase it. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's my little field in Anathoth. Now, Anathoth is about three or four miles just away outside of Jerusalem. So it's not too far in the land of Benjamin. And that's where Jeremiah is from. That's where he was born. And so God told him this in prison. Your cousin's going to come. And you know what? Sure enough, you know, within a, a relatively short period of time, here comes his cousin. Hey, cousin, you want to buy my field? Now picture that. You're in prison, you know. Jerusalem is about to go down. You got this army all around. Let's go. Yeah, let's go do business. Yeah, let's go buy land right now. Do you, is it wise? Are we supposed to do this? Lord, what? What? You, what, I don't understand this. And so in the next part in verse 9, look, what the, look, look how it, it, uh, it unfolds. The story unfolds. He says in verse 9, And so then I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin. And I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of, of silver. And I signed the deed. I sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and the conditions and the open copy. And then I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, uh, the son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase. And in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the card. And he tells them, hey, take this legal stuff, this document that we've already wheeled and dealed here. I want you to put it in a, in a jar in, a, in this clay jar, in this earthenware, eventually, right? And I want you to store it because I want you, it, it needs to last a long time. That's what the Lord said. I, I need to store this. I need, to, I need to make this transaction. And then in verse 15, because thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, he says, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Oh my, what? What? Now listen, that's the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, this deal is going to have to get played. This is the object lesson. But even though Jeremiah got this word from the Lord, he was clueless. He wasn't quite sure why the Lord was doing this. As a matter of fact, the next uh, uh, passages lets us know, you know, his prayer before God, seeking, you know, clarity. I mean, he says, oh, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth with your mighty power and, and your outstretched arm and, and nothing is too hard for you and nothing is too difficult for you, God. 
I mean, you're awesome. You're amazing. You, you, you pulled our people out of Egypt and you preserved us and you watched us and you brought us into the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. And then along the way, yeah, we messed up. And so now we're getting ejected, evicted from this land because we deserve it, because we, we lost sight of you, God. But, but Lord, in verse 25, yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, even though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. I mean, the army is all around us. What's the point? Why are, you, why are we doing this? I don't understand this, Lord. So he praises God. He worships God. He lets them know that he is awesome. He's made everything under heaven. He's guided his people all the way thus far. And all of a sudden, God, you know, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the enemy encamped around, go by this field. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, the Lord responds. He says, you're right, Jeremiah. Nothing is too difficult for me. Is anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? I don't think so, right? But look. I will gather my people back. Just know that. I mean, they're going to pay the fine. They're going to be punished. Yeah, they're going to be carried away, you know, to another land. They're going to go to, the, to, to Babylon. They're going to be in captivity out there. I mean, because they've never repented. But you know what? There's going to be a time where I'm going to gather them from the dispersed nations. I'm going to gather them and I'm going to bring them back. And he says in verse 41 of chapter 32, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. And just as I brought, uh, I brought all this great disaster upon the people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Yes, fields are going to be bought for money. And deeds shall be signed and sealed. Witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the place of, about Jerusalem. I mean, it's going to be... It's going, to be, it's going to be good. I'm going to place my fear in their hearts and they're going to fix their hearts and attention on me and their allegiance on me. And at the last line, I love it, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of God. This is what's going to unfold. This is what's going to unpack. This is what's going to come to pass. What a narrative. What a story to just hear this type of a illustration and something that's going to be so profound and so powerful. And there's some, a few elements. There's a, some truth that just kind of dart out of there. And there's tons of them, but I, I, there's just a few that I want to just kind of bring to our attention this morning. Of course, one is regarding the word of the Lord, just through this story. The word always comes to pass. God's word will come to pass. Now think about it. In Jeremiah's case, I mean, you were able to just in this story saw something come to pass in a relatively short period of time. Hey, your cousin's going to come and try to sell you land, buy it. And sure enough, you know, in a relatively short period of time, here comes his cousin. Hey, cousin, you want to buy my land? Whoa, confirming the word of the Lord, just what the Lord had said. It came to pass. Maybe, maybe even in Jeremiah's case, a little longer, 20, 30 years. Can you imagine you know, just warning people, pleading with people for a couple of decades. Hey, listen, I mean, if you don't repent, we are going to be under attack. We're going to be carried off. This is going to become a wasteland. I mean, that becomes a broken record, you might think, after the first year. Yeah, well, when? Well, when? It's two years, 
five years, seven years, 10 years, 11 years, 15 years. What? Jeremiah, you're just bad, 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 negative, 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 negative. He says this whole country will become a, def- a desolate wasteland. And you know what? His word will come to pass. There are still many prophecies that God has declared that will come to pass. It's just a matter of time. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to, uh, speak to that in just a bit. The other thing that kind of just jumps out is that God's patience, his patience runs longer than his wrath. Did you get that? His patience runs longer than his wrath. As a nation, as a people of God, he, he gave them ample time. He always gives God's people ample time to repent. You know, by the time Jeremiah comes into the scene, I mean, he's a youth called by God. God told Jeremiah, hey, before you were even born, I had already consecrated you. And so in your 40 or so years of ministry, I mean, a lot's going to get done. The noose is getting closer. And so you need to tell them to repent. But still, 20, 30 years might seem like a long time, but it's still, it's, it's been more than just that. You look at all the other prophets, it's been foretold for several hundred years. As a matter of fact, the hand, the wrath of God was alleviated. He relented just 120 years earlier, the king of Judah, when it was under King Hezekiah. Remember the Assyrians? It was a siege as well. And the king submitted to the Lord. He said, God, Lord, only you can rescue. Only you set my heart right. As a matter of fact, he was even dying physically. And the Lord extended the king's life by 15 years. And you know what the Lord said? I'm not going to let the Assyrians take you down. No, I'm going to, my wrath is lifted. Because God is is just kind of waiting. He's waiting for God's people just to repent, to get right. Because as soon as you get right, he's ready to embrace and hug and let his grace and mercy flow through us. Another thing that jumps out is that his judgment, because, you know, he is a righteous judge. Evil and wickedness and sin and rebellion must be punished. And so his judgment is followed by his mercy, very connected with the the, the, the previous one. But if you look at uh, the covenant that he made with, with Abram, remember that in Genesis 15? He told Abram, hey, listen, Abram, look, uh, we're going to make a, a covenant, all right? And I'm going to promise you, this is the divine promise, I'm going to promise you that you, even though you're old and your wife is old, you're going to have a child. But it, it, let's expand here. It's not you're just going to have a child, yippee. You're going to have a child, but that child is going to have more children. And then eventually those children are going to multiply and they're going to be as countless as the stars, right? The grains of the sand of the, of the you know, I mean, it's just going to, there's going to be multitude of them. I'm promising you that. Not, not only that, uh, I'm, I'm promising you a land. It's this land. It's a promised land. I'm promising it to you. Your descendants. Now you won't be able to make it. But the only thing that's going to be fulfilled in your life is that you're going to see your son. But other than that, you're not going to be able to make it. For Abram, who became Abraham, right, the father of many nations eventually, it was counted for righteousness because he believed God. He trusted God that God's word will come to pass and that his people eventually would get this promised land. But 
God says something. He gives, he gives Abram kind of like a future timeline, a little glimpse of the future. He tells them, look, uh, your descendants will eventually, uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to come back for about four generations. They're going to go under uh, a country where they're going to be slaves. And of course, we know that it's Egypt, right, under Pharaoh. But eventually, they'll come back to this land, the land of Canaan. Abram was already there. He had already checked out uh, 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 the land. He knew how wide it was and so forth. He had already walked about it, all right? But the timing was just, wasn't just right yet at that time. There was no multitude of descendants. And so he says, but look, your descendants will come back, all right? But not yet because, here it is, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, it hasn't reached its full measure. I mean, they're, they're wicked and so forth, but um, not complete. I don't know. I mean, this, is, this passage just shows the, you know, the certainty of God's judgment on a wicked people. I mean, he's much more inclined to be merciful. He's given, them, given the land of Canaan, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, all those guys, plenty of ample time to perhaps get right because they're worshiping other gods and it's intensifying. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, who's Canaan? Well, I mean, this is Genesis 15. You go a few chapters before, you hear about the flood. Noah, it was Noah's grandson. These guys all know, all these godless nations, they all know who the Lord is. They chose not to worship and serve the Lord. But yet God somehow or another does an amazing job balancing his sovereignty and balancing the, the will of man. You get to choose what you want. You want to choose if you want to worship and serve the living God or do your own thing and rebel against God. But somehow or another God knew, you know, after four generations, eventually they're, you know, they're going to be evicted. Your people, the Israelites are going to, I'm going to use Joshua during that conquest, to evict these godless nations out of there. Isn't it ironic? Hundreds of years later, here you have now the Babylonian army evicting for the same type of sin. I mean, Moses warned them, hey, when you go in there, don't do what the Canaanites are doing. I mean, in the book of Leviticus, there's a list of all the things that these guys were doing that were just so godless. Don't sacrifice these children. They're sacrificing children to the fire, to their God. You know, I didn't command that. And these guys were doing, and they were, they thought that the temple in Jerusalem was going to preserve them. It's the presence of God. I'm going to be okay. But no, you know, they were very hypocritical. You can go to church, but live like the devil over there and worship the devil and do all the other things, right? Hey, let me wrap it up here, guys, because I know some of y'all are, um, got to keep up with the beans before they burn. Uh, so anyway, so um, what about us today? Listen, God, just as it happened in Jeremiah's time and even during the Reformation time, even today, God's word will come to pass. There are still some of those prophecies that we're waiting for, right? We're waiting, we're waiting for the return of the Lord. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. I love how Paul says it. He says, hey, listen, Timothy. He writes a letter to Timothy, and he says, my life is about to be poured out like a drink offering. In other words, I'm about to die. My departure is at high. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. I'm, I'm going down, but I'm going down with my faith. All right? And now there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness that the Lord himself, the righteous judge, the righteous king, is going to award me, but not just me, but all of those 
that are waiting for his appearing. When is he coming back? Pastor Ralph? Pa modern church? All these preachers that are saying, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. You know, one year, five years, ten years. It's been 2,000 years. You know, I think, I think Peter summarizes it rather well, right? But before I get to Peter, hold on, guys, because i got to wrap this up. Um, his patience runs longer than his wrath. He describes himself in plenty of parts, and I'm, I'm just going to race through it real quick. He describes himself as being merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He, he describes himself as being faithful. He is quick to be merciful and slow to anger. And last but not least, his judgment is followed by his mercy. Because of our disobedience, because of our sin, our envy, our jealousy, our hatred, God's righteous wrath was upon us. But yet the Bible is clear that God proved his love. He showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the judgment, the penalty had to be paid. And so he took our spot. He substituted himself, taking on the judgment, taking on the wrath of the Lord on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. And I say, Peter summarizes it pretty well. As a matter of fact, these elements just kind of come together. In the familiar passage, Jesus is coming. Are you sure? I mean, it's been decades. It's been centuries. It's been 2,000 years. What's up with that? And so I love in verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact of Second Peter chapter 3. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, as a is like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Don't be surprised. Why? Because God is outside of time and space. You can't confine God to time. I mean, yeah, for us it's been 2,000 years, but for him it's like two days. No big deal. No biggie, right? He sees the larger picture. He is eternal. God transcends time and space. King Solomon, you know, that same temple that's about to get burned down, when he dedicated before the Lord, he said, he said, God, you've made the heavens and the heavens uh, above the heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple that I've built. You're outside of time, outside of space. And then he says in verse 9, 8, now we always hear this one, but it's always good to read the one before and even the one after. Because he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. In the King James Version, it says, you know, the Lord... Uh, it's not slack. In other words, people are saying, man, he's taking forever. What's up with that? It's forever. Well, because he's, he's very patient. He wants everybody to come. One of the prophecies is that, you know, the Lord's not going to come back until the gospel, the good news, is taken to all the nations, to the entire world. So he knows. He knows by, by his power and his sovereignty when that's going to be. Only he knows the day and the hour, Right? And so, he's not slow to fulfill the promise, the promise of his appearance, right, about a coming. But instead, he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Because that's his heart. But that all should reach repentance. He's giving ample time, like he's always done. It's part of his character. In verse 10, I love the first part. So, the day of the Lord will come like a thief right? So when he does appear, when he does come, 
It's like a thief. Well, when does the thief come? Well, obviously, he's not going to give you a courtesy call. Hey, hey, bro, hey, I just want you to know that I'm going to hit you up tonight. And so be on guard. We're going to wipe you out, all right? He doesn't. It's by surprise. It's suddenly. It's kind of like the Babylonians that all of a sudden they were there. And they cannot say, well, nobody warned us. Nobody told us. I mean, Jeremiah in another chapter says, what, hey, what religious leaders, what about you, you false prophets? You kept on telling the king here, oh, don't worry. There's not going to be no enemy. We're not going to be carried off. There's no consequences. There's no punishment. God's going to bless you. God's going to make your kingdom prosper. It's going to be a blessed Judah. We're going to be awesome, you know? God's going to part the traffic for you, king, all the chariots. I mean, it's going to be good. And then all of a sudden, there it is, judgment time. Wah, wah, wah. Not a good picture. Listen, guys, you and I, we're waiting for his appearing. So let's anticipate what is yet to come because his word will come to pass. He is coming. Heaven awaits us. We need to commit our hearts, give our lives to the Lord. Let's not fix our eyes on the things of this world, on the culture and, and, and Hollywood and anything else that social media tries to, you know, give you a reason to uh, live your life. The reason to live is to live for Christ. And let's maximize this time, this little bit of short period of time. We are confined to time. We only have so many years. Let's make the best of it. And let's go down. When we go down, we go down in faith, trusting that in the larger picture, he's in control. He patiently waits upon our response. His patience runs longer than his wrath. And he paid our debt. And by his mercy and grace, we can receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. So his judgment was followed by his mercy. The judgment hasn't paid or the, uh, the substitution of his, of, of his son Jesus on the cross for our sin has been taken care of. Sin has been dealt with. All you and I need to do is, as we plead, repent, get right, seek the Lord, and let's anticipate his appearing. Let's pray.